When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello there, movie truthers. It's the new episode of Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. My name's David Jenkins. I'm the editor of Little White Lies, and I'm joined by my colleague Hannah Woodhead this week. And we're going to talk about all things festival. We're in February at the moment, and... We're actually deep into what would otherwise have been known as the festival season. Sundance has, has happened and wrapped. We're in the midst of Rotterdam at the moment and Glasgow is coming at the end of the month. So in a normal year, we would have been traveling around the world, traveling around the country to experience these festivals firsthand, having a great time, meeting critics, uh, talking to people, um, being in cinemas, experiencing cities, all those things that we love to do when we go to festivals that are like little kind of bonus perks. Uh, but we are, we're obviously not going to be doing those this year because our festival experiences have t- switched to the digital realm and we're uh, seeing things online. We're seeing things streamed on laptops and through TVs. Uh, we're talking to our friends and critics through social media and DMs and, and what what have you. And we're seeing filmmaker Q&As streamed after the film rather than live and in person. So Hannah, you've been experiencing Sundance, the film festival. I'm going to start by asking you a bit about your history with Sundance and how, how, how many times have you been and how did this new edition compare? Yeah, um, I mean... I guess I'm a bit of an old hand now at Sundance. Um, this is this would be my third year. I attended in 2019 and 2020. So it was actually the last film festival I went to before COVID put um, put an end to all of that uh, frivol- frivolity. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it's. I think in terms of when you think about the kind of. Um, the glamour of uh, the film world it's up there with Cannes in terms of like you know location it uh, normally takes place in the mountains in Utah in a um, a little town called Park City which is a very very bougie ski town normally um, it's where uh, Gwyneth Paltrow got sued over a skiing trip um, it's you know it's very like rich you walk around the town and you feel very poor so... I, I always have the impression when when I when I sort of see pictures of it. I've never attended myself, but it all, I always get the impression that it's similar to the kind of Aspen that we see in Dumb and Dumber. Yeah, 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right. It's um, the kind of place where there's like there's one main street and no one I know who goes to Sundance as a critic would eat on Main Street because it is just so expensive. You pay like $30 for a very average pizza. It's, you know, it's it's not... Um, so it's tourist it, trap. It's, it's tourist trap, but like rich tourists you know like it's not it's not a kind of like um a place that you would just stumble upon because it is it's in the mountains you know it's 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 not easy to get to you kind of have to um you find salt lake city and then it's about a 45 uh, minute drive up through the mountains and that is what makes it kind of so expensive to go to is that it's all based around this very um small town where there's not really enough accommodation to host a film festival of that size and um yeah it's definitely like even compared to Cannes I I would say that it's the film festival where I have felt the most out of place just in terms of walking around you're like wow this is a place where people come to be seen they don't necessarily come because they care about films they come because it's like a social event so yeah it was a kind of um an interesting year to be covering the festival. I think it's also one that in recent years has kind of maybe got a bit of a reputation for not having the best films, um, which sounds quite harsh, but I think it really like, you know, this festival has a reputation as being kind of this platform for independent cinema. It launched um, a lot of um, independent filmmakers' careers. Uh, Quentin Tarantino kind of got his start there and um, Harmony Corrine and, yeah, in recent years, I think it's kind of, um, there's been less of a sense of that. There's been a few, like, huge breakouts, obviously. Um, Get Out was there and um, Called By Your Name and 8th Grade had their premieres and then The Souvenir premiered two years ago. I was in that screening. But, um, yeah, it's just a bit of a, a bit of a... I feel like there's a sense it's slipped in recent years. So there was a sort of trepidation around this digital edition and what was going to be playing and kind of if anything decent was going to turn up. I mean, we've, I think we've kind of touched on this before on the podcast. There's such a huge backlog now of films from 2020 that should have played at festivals and got pushed back. And now we're just kind of in this weird moment where we don't know if they're saving them for this year's festival season or if they're just going to shove them out on demand to get them out there. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see going forward with Berlin coming up next month and um, we're meant to be getting Cannes in the late summer, kind of how those shape up, if we're going to end up with like all these films we should have seen or if they're still going to kind of desperately cling to the idea that cinemas are going to be reopened anytime soon. It's interesting you say that because actually I remember during the noughts when, when I was... Um, um, working as a film journalist and uh, monitoring uh, Sundance from afar. Um, <laughs> and that was a time when it was a really, I mean, I guess, I guess sort of connecting to the, to the high rolling milieu of, of, of the actual location. It was a very exclusive festival and very few British critics ended up going there. And mm. you tend, you tended to, if, if you if British critics tended to go there, if they were on assignment to do like a big interview with someone and, and like, you know, they would then go and watch some films as well. And the main people who went there were actually like distributors and, uh, and buyers. And it wasn't really a kind of, f from, from a British perspective, it there was very, very little coverage. 
Um, I think there's, st- there's still a sense of that, definitely. When I have been in the past two years, I've only been able to go because the Sundance Institute have launched a initiative to help um, critics from all around the world who come from underrepresented backgrounds take part in the festival. So they give you a $2,000 stipend and you can use that however you want. And obviously coming from the UK, that just about covers your flights and shared accommodation for five days. It cost me... Last year, it was about £600 for flights and then over about a grand and a half for accommodation, which is, I mean, this is all kind of inside baseball talk for people that don't know about film festivals, but Cannes is nowhere near that expensive. If we we go to Cannes, it does not cost us that much um, just for flights and accommodation. But they do, my my experience (laughs) of Cannes is is, is there is very much a, in terms of accommodation, it's very much a kind of, you know... um, um i want to say buyer's market but i don't know if that i don't know if that's the right term it's it's basically when the um because can is base is essentially a kind of town that is used for these kind of big expos and they're happening yeah. pretty much constantly throughout the year and when uh, i've i've done things like when i've 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 booked accommodation for can and got a price quoted to me and then when someone realizes that it's, it's during the can <laughs> film festival suddenly that price is like not even quadrupled it's like quintupled or something you know like that there's very much a kind of yeah if if you're coming for can you can you can pay the price bitch yeah there's definitely (laughs) there's definitely more accommodation at can i think it is because um well can is bigger for a start but also because it is a tourist town um and it's not quite as inaccessible as sun as uh, as park city it is it is like there's more accommodation and it's cheaper as a result whereas park city there's only really like unless you stay in salt lake city which is a lot cheaper but then you have to trek up to the mountains every day and obviously that costs like you're looking at a 70 dollar cab ride there and back unless you want to rely on public transport and the public public transport is kind of non it's a (laughs) non-starter they have like their own little shuttle system which works really well within park city itself but you know, it's January in the mountains in Utah. You don't want to be staying like a 45 minute drive away from the festival and waiting around in the cold all the time. I think I really benefited last year from being quite close to everything. And I definitely, I made the mistake my first year of not doing that. I stayed quite far away and I saw so much more just by being kind of on the ground. And but yeah, I mean, sorry, going back to what you were saying about it being this kind of exclusive, like, you know, not many British people, uh, British critics going. Definitely, there's still there was still a sense of that when I went. The two years I went, you know, y- you would hear another Brit from across the room, and you, you'd kind of whip around. You'd be like, who who's in this room with me? You know, <laughs> and, um, it's Joanna Hogg. <laughs> it's Joanna Hogg. Invariably, it would be like a filmmaker. Um, so it was like it. It felt kind of nice to be like one of the few, the few Brits there. You felt quite, um, quite privileged. Um, but obviously this year, because there isn't that huge barrier to access, pretty much every British critic I know was covering sometimes this year. I mean, so yeah, it was, it, yeah, it, it was change. really nice how you know how open it was, and I think a lot of a lot of the headlines, particularly pre-festival, were the fact that it was you know it it had really opened the doors to the press on this there was it, they weren't being sh- being too miserly when it came to like chucking mm. out the the accreditations and and so yeah uh, i guess a question i have for you now is like 
I mean, one of the things that I think is really value about, valuable about physical film festivals is the interactions you have and the discussions you're able to have with people. I mean, you know, at a place like Cannes, you, you spend a lot of the time in queues with people. And, <laughs> you know, it sounds terrible, but you can actually have some really, you know, you have, have, have some really kind of deep cinephile conversations in those queues sometimes. That's um, where the bong hive was created. Exactly. The, there would be no <laughs> bong hive without, without, that, um, without, without the queuing. So um, how did you find actually kind of discussing things with people? I mean, obviously you were kind of, when you were seeing things you were sort of talking to myself and Adam about what you were seeing whether it was good or not what you know coverage and you know we were getting a kind of top line thing on that but were you able to actually like see a film and jump jump on you know were, were, were people seeing things at the same time so you could kind of jump on and talk about the films with them yeah it was kind of a strange one because obviously there's a huge time difference between the UK and um, Utah it's an eight I think seven six it's either six or seven hours difference um and that did kind of um come into play a little bit here because Sundance decided to do this um thing where films would have a premiere time and you could either choose to watch it within three hours of that start time or you could watch it on catch up the next day but being in the UK, all those start times were sort of, I think there was a, a 5pm screening, an 8pm screening, 11pm, 2am and 5am, which are obviously not the best, like most convenient times to be um, starting to watch a film. And most of the stuff I was interested in, the sort of um, uh, midnight screenings and the um, premiere screenings were all quite late in the day. So I did have a couple of 2am starts which wasn't the most like fun thing in the world um but it did I think it did kind of mean that people were um watching things together which was really nice we had a couple I have a couple of group chats with other critics and um there was a lot of kind of oh is anyone going to be watching uh you know the Scion Sono like at bang on 2am because I'll sync up and we can like kind of watch it together which was really sweet uh, and there were a couple of instances where I'd be watching something and I'd realise I was like five minutes behind one of my friends who'd be messaging me and I'd be saying, no, 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 don't like, don't like, I've not got to that bit yet. So it was like, it actually felt like quite a fun um, group experience. And because they were only doing about, you know, four or five new films a day, I think it did stop it feeling too overwhelming. You kind of knew what you had to pick from or kind of what you could catch up on and you just like had it narrowed down and I think it kind of it means you don't have that Netflix feeling of just like not knowing where to start you have a very like strict part of the catalogue that's available and you know you've got to watch it within a certain amount of time which for me is really helpful and I think obviously kind of replicates the festival experience way better than just being given a blanket list of films and having 48 hours which is kind of the approach that other festivals have had so far that's that is a general thing that I really appreciate actually like I, th I I tend to find that if I've got a screener or if I've got a film that's uploaded onto a streaming channel that is just going to be there forever that is not <laughs> that's not going to drop off at a certain time or that I I'm not going to be able to like uh, uh, that, that, that I'm always going to be able to come back to that 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 just gives me the option to not not watch it <laughs> and and just and just sort of kick it kick it into the keep kicking it into the long grass whereas yeah like 
all of a sudden when I get a, when I when I get a sent a link and it's like 24 hours I'm I'm like terrified that I'm not going to get to watch it in time so I'm just watching it straight away see I'm the, I'm the opposite with that I if I someone sends me a link and it says 24 hours I'm like well now I'm not going to watch it out of principle you can't oh. dictate my time to me. <laughs> no I, I I I'm I'm always into that and I mean a, a lot that it seems that there's more and more um uh as you were saying with Sundance there is more there are there were attempts to kind of create a festival experience in the digital realm by yeah. actually having things timed and having windows where things could be watched as you would have in a festival i mean one of one of the delights you know maybe a kind of ne- a bittersweet delight of a festival is that you all there will always tend to be something that you maybe chose something else over so you didn't get to see the first screening and then suddenly (laughs) your schedule just won't allow you to see this film and it just keeps escaping you and then you see another screening in the market that you run to and it's full up and it you know you 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 end up leaving the festival having missed this key film indeed yeah (laughs) um and it's i think it's probably it's good that you that you can like even on a, a digital edition of a festival you could still have that you know there could still be something that you don't get to see because you know it's just just doesn't doesn't sort of work in the schedule no absolutely i mean actually i think there's been less of that with this approach because of having the catch-up feature um and i from what i've seen i didn't experience any like lockouts um i i think they did say that there's like limited screenings but it did mean if someone had said to you, oh my God, you must watch um, such and such a film, then you could just kind of slot it into your schedule um, rather than being limited by like, oh, I can't go to that screening because it's miles away and I won't make my next screening if I like trek all that way. Or, oh, I've got to do an interview at such and such a time, so I can't. Or, oh, I've got to go and attend a reception, you know. So um, having all those kind of like extra things stripped away and of course having eating and sleeping like kind of being able to do those whenever rather than within like a a a very structured timetable um I think really did like it was it kind of was a weight off knowing that you were totally kind of um beholden to the movies you could just decide what you wanted to do and not have to just um uh work with the locations and uh, the um the transport available to you but at the same time i think that one thing that i do think you miss with an online festival is that idea of just popping into a screening because you've not got anything better to do and discovering something that you um otherwise never would have seen i think you do become a little bit more reliant on like other people's opinions when there's a huge program because you know, you're kind of talking to other critics and you're like, oh, um, you know, if something gets buzzed, and I think there were a few kind of moments like that at this year's Sundance, which we'll probably get onto in a second. Um, I think that some things can pass you by just because you tend to gravitate towards what you what has been pointed out to you rather than just slipping into a 3pm screening because you've got time and, you know, just discovering things that way. Yeah, no, I, I, I hear you. I mean, I, I, I think one of my favorite things about physical festivals is definitely doing that kind of it's almost like a kind of filler slot where you have Mm. uh, a time between two screenings you've had some food you've done all your writing and you think I can actually treat myself to something completely random now and you go you walk up to like the the critics week or something and just see what's on and 
you know it's it's it, it's quite thrilling to to be able to do that and in fact that that's probably like i mean experiencing rotterdam this year as a as a digital festival has been really interesting because um i'm, I'm seeing a lot more of their kind of tiger competition which is the the, the the main competition that they have every year which is generally I think first or second films so you're seeing a lot of kind of new talent it's quite it's it's a very diverse range of films as well so you get a lot you get a lot of kind of mostly kind of exp experimental left field stuff on there which is which is all really interesting but the way they screen them generally is like there'll be one every morning throughout a kind of 10 day festival and if you're if you're there for like a long weekend it means you can only see kind of two or three of them or get you know get a, a very sort of small taster of, of what's there but this year i've actually been able to, to to watch some more but like i do i do find that one of the things i really value about um going to a physical festival as someone with i mean like our you know our day jobs involve obviously making magazines and doing all these other things and reviewing films that are coming out in cinemas and in you know writing and you know various other things and so it just makes it harder to be able to kind of like mm. you know sweep the table aside and say okay i'm going to plunge into into a into a into a digital film festival now um i think whereas... we, we were both quite lucky this year in that we just put the magazine to bed really exactly so, so yeah I'll, I'll, I, 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 one of the reasons that i couldn't do sundance is because it overlapped directly with our, our magazine deadline but then i could but then luckily rotterdam started on the day that our magazine went to press so that was that was a that was a lucky break for me but yeah i i, I guess I, I i one of the things i miss about physical festivals is that sense of being captive yeah uh, oh absolutely yeah of, of like of, of of not of of people knowing that you're not there you're physically somewhere else and that you know <laughs> you, you you have that excuse not to be maybe in you know you have to obviously if it have like you know tidied your desk and make sure that all your affairs are in order <laughs> before you kind of just log out for a week but but it's actually it's such a, an amazing experience it's like it is it, it gives it that kind of holiday vibe whereas now i am kind of like doing my day's work um you know putting give putting my daughter to bed and then what <laughs> and then having making some dinner and then watching two rotterdam films so it's like it's become it's quite a kind of <laughs> you know heavy 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 duty lifestyle so but you know you're kind of you're fitting it in you're fitting them in there because of pleasure but you know you, the ideal would be that you could just you know wipe wipe life aside for a little while especially obviously i don't resent like... putting my daughter to bed but <laughs> <laughs> especially when you're like um watching them on a laptop as well it's kind of like you've already like you know this this film is already suffering <laughs> and then it's like you know you're watching it at like 9 p.m after you've done everything else and you're maybe not in the best position to be watching a film you're not feeling fresh and excited and like you've not had 10 cups of free coffee and you're not like super amped up for the for this like buzzy festival premiere so i do feel like there's some films that i watched where i thought you know what this probably would have gone down really well if i was in the the right kind of space for it but because i i'm sat on my sofa watching film after film it it does kind of suffer there was one i watched like i i've just come back to london from my parents house and i was watching a film in at i was set, sitting down to watch film at two in the morning and my mum came in for a chat because that's what my family are like at two in the morning it's a great time to come and have a chat and it got to three three o'clock and she was like, oh yeah, aren't you watching a film? And I was like, 
yes, yes, I am. Can can you go so I can start this film, please? Um, and, but, you know, by three o'clock in the morning, I'm like, oh, God, let's just, let's just get it over with. Whereas I think those kind of midnight screenings at a film festival, you're very, like, kind of, you know, you've made a decision to be there, you've kind of committed, you've, you know, you've got your little posse and, you 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 know, there's a kind of energy which I think is really hard to replicate. I'm very jealous of my friends who um, live with other critics or even just, like, other film fans because I've been watching everything on my own and seeing people, like, watch, you know, watch with their other halves and their friends and housemates, has, I've been really, like, kind of you know, a bit envious of that experience and kind of sharing these festival films, which I think a lot of people, especially in the UK with something like Sundance, there's, you know, these these films weren't on offer to the British public. It was an American-only festival. So um, there's a lot of, like, people who otherwise wouldn't have seen these films but then did kind of access them because they just happened to be in proximity to someone covering the festival. So I think that's like a, you know, I, I do, I really... It sounds really cheesy, but the audience is kind of one of the things I really have, like, I've missed. I feel like I should get, like, you know, cardboard cutouts and, like, a laugh track or something, like, just to really enhance my, my festival viewing. <laughs> yeah, I hear you there. I hear you there. Right, well, we, we, we have discussed the uh, experience of the new the new festival, the new era festival, which, <laughs> but, you know, which it seems to me like, it's not going to go away. Um, it's not going to suddenly stop when cinemas open again. And I, I suspect we will get some form of, of, of hybrid version of, of what, of what we've been experiencing in the last year. Um, but I guess now it's probably best to move on to actually tell us about the good stuff you saw. Um, so what, what, how are we going to do it is Hannah's going to give us a little, uh, rundown of the uh top treats from the sundance lineup and then i am going to give you a little uh highlight reel of the rotterdam lineup so uh take it away yeah where to start i think that this year was such a, a strange year in terms of the sundance program because there's usually a couple of like really like you know really starry premieres i think that um celebrities love going to sundance because it's you know it's it's basically like a holiday you do your premiere and then you can just go and like drink in the snow and go skiing so um it was definitely a less starry festival this year but um i actually and i've seen a couple of people say that it was a weak year but i don't really know what films they were watching because i had a great time i saw like a good number that i really loved um a number that i liked um i saw a lot of bad films as well but i did think it can was i just interject pretty... very quickly and say I've been I've been to like ten can or something, and every single year there's, there's always someone there's always someone who'll say, "Oh, <laughs> terrible year." Even when you you know even when you had like you know two or three like copper bottom masterpieces, you're like, "No, terrible year." Strike it, it, strike it from the record. I always think it's such a like a a, sn a snotty like privileged thing to say. Like you know we get to go around the world watching films for a living and then you have the audacity to be like mm, well they weren't very good it's just you know like i know we can become disillusioned but it's to me i mean i guess i've not been in this game very long but to me it's still like such a thrill that this is my job i actually like don't really think i can complain about seeing a couple of bad movies <laughs> so i don't know i mean maybe that'll change when i've been doing it 10 years i don't know but um but yeah it uh, it was a a year where I just had to kind of go off the log lines and um, names I recognised. So 
I think the best thing I saw was this film, Pleasure, by this, um, I want to say, Swedish director whose name is, um, it's it's spelt Ninja Thyberg, but I think it might be pronounced like Ninja. Uh, <laughs> so, um, and it's um, the only film that came with an age verification um, check at the film festival. It's about um, the world of hardcore pornography in Los Angeles um, and uh, yeah I was just kind of blown away by it I I was very um skeptical because I think you know you, you hear about a film about the porn industry and you think it's um it could go either way and um I was really kind of thrilled um right from the start that it is this really like empathetic not just sympathetic it's empathetic it totally understands this world um it's not trying to say that porn is evil or devoid of morality it's a really um thoughtful and nuanced portrayal of this often very like maligned industry porn is still like i think a huge kind of um dirty word despite the fact that i think most human beings watch it even if they don't admit it so I was yeah I was really blown away by this film um it stars uh, this Swedish actress uh, Sofia Kappel who is actually an adult film actress um and this is her kind of uh dramatic debut and it's got a lot of other adult film stars making up the supporting cast and it's just this story of this young very naive Swedish girl who goes to work in LA and wants to become the the best porn star in the world and um you know kind of all the pitfalls and you know things that she goes through and some of those are really horrible and deeply unpleasant and what you would expect um from a film about the porn industry but there are other things that the film really emphasizes which I thought were um things we don't hear about such as kind of the relationship between actresses and the friendship that becomes really essential when you're kind of working in that space and one of the things I thought was really I don't think I've really seen it mentioned but like there's a, a wonderful scene that kind of illustrates the difference between porn directed by women and porn directed by men which I thought is just something that like people don't realize the kind of huge difference on set the huge difference in kind of like um uh, uh safety for the actors and kind of conversations that I had around making sure they're comfortable and yeah it was just I I I think it's a really wonderful companion piece to Showgirls by uh, Paul Verhoeven I think it's it's working in, on the same kind of level and um, so it's it's like a kind of uh you know a hero's journey into yeah. into an industry the the kind of the rise the rise and fall very very, very much so um and I think like it's it's kind of you you know you kind of I think you get a sense of where it's going right from the start but um it's a very like uh, I, I I was gonna say entertaining but um some of it is not entertaining some of it is quite devastating um it's just a very kind of engrossing engrossing is definitely the right word a very engrossing film and yeah I'm super excited to see where um Cyber goes next I think she's someone that I could see really like breaking through and it also feels like a film that probably is not going to get distribution <laughs> um, which is one of the great joys of seeing it at a film festival because it is like a lot of it is very hardcore sex scenes and even like 
in an industry where um, we've become quite desensitized to violence, it's still very hard for films with quite graphic sex scenes to get distribution. So if it gets picked up, I'll be absolutely amazed and thrilled. Um, but I, I don't see that happening without extensive uh, cuts, which nicely brings me on to my next pick, uh, which I know is a film you saw as well, um, called Censor, which is the debut of a British director called Prano Bailey Bond. Um, it's a... How, how should we... Just, I mean, it's a horror film, but... Um, it's kind of like a retro throwback to the world of the video nasty. I've just I've seen it described as uh, that that awful term elevated horror, oh God, which no. which which I, which we won't <laughs> which we won't use. <laughs> it's um, it's yeah. I mean, uh, Strickland esque is is how everyone and their mother has been describing it. It's um, a wonderful kind of uh, twisted. Again, like a bit of a, um, a hero's journey <laughs> uh, in this, in the fact we have this um, naive kind of um, timid film censor called Enid, who works in a basement, um, snuffing out the violent scenes in films, uh, and then we kind of slowly learn that uh, something happened to her sister, and she's trying to work out what happened and it all kind of ties into her her job at this um dingy supposed to be boring uh film censorship company which slowly becomes more kind of um dangerous and dark and disturbing as as the film unravels and I was just really like again I this is one that I really feel would have I would have benefited from being in the cinema because there's so many moments where I was watching it and I was like, oh, this would just go down so well with like a midnight crew, you know, all the kind of horror heads sat in the cinema, like losing their minds. And it, yeah, I did feel a bit sad, but even just watching it on my own, I was really, really um, engrossed, really uh, just had a great time with it. I think that um, Neve Alga, who plays the um, central role, she was in Calm With Horses last year, was one of the kind of standouts about that film and she's amazing in this we've got michael smiley doing like this gloriously like just you can kind of like smell the cheap aftershave like through the screen turn as this like um video nasties producer and yeah i had i had a great time with it um we had a little bit of a chat i don't know if you want to kind of give your thoughts on it as well yeah no i'm 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 similarly in agreement about the quality i mean i really loved it it's it kind of it's very playful with the I, I don't think it's trying to kind of very strictly emulate the world of the kind of 60 70s 80s um bbfc bureaucracy which was ve which which during i mean it, there are lots of little flashes of like you know you you, you it's the 80s because you know you're getting lots of flashes <laughs> of margaret thatcher in the background and there is this whole moral panic about the video nasties and there there are there are some little bits where you have like protests about films that are being released un, un, into the public domain that are being that have been deemed dangerous because you have these kind of copycat killings from 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 films and um yeah it's it 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 kind of like creates a sort of slightly off-center version of that and um and and I think and just being in that world is just really fun and exciting and you know you can almost sort of smell the 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 the, the cigarette smoke emanating from the screen 
like you know everywhere every every scene like someone smoking a cigarette even on the tube <laughs> and um and and um and i guess i guess it it kind of does hark back to this idea that in the film that it's like you know time you know that that the time sort of changes changes tastes and uh and and uh, and and the way we make art and the way we kind of interact with people um yeah it's it's also very funny and one of the things that, and 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 you know one of the things that i howled at is that is yeah michael smiley who's this kind of yeah as you say <laughs> kind of oleaginous um grindhouse producer lives in this weird like prefab <laughs> bungalow that's very quaint and uh so funny enid enid goes to visit him and you see this exterior shot and it is like the sweetest little kind of cottage <laughs> like slightly sort of modernist cottage and and it's just, it's just so funny this idea of like you know mixing this idea of this really grim underworld with the you know it's almost like it is the kind of idea i you know when people say lynchian that's what i think of is like this mixing of of quaintness and, and evil in in one in one place um but i think the thing that really made it work for me is like it just has this really incredible central character in enid in that she's someone who she isn't a kind of innocent who is sort of corrupted by this world she's someone who kind of come arrives freighted with a lot of pre-existing trauma which she's already suppressing which you don't which she doesn't necessarily give you straight away you kind of know that there is some kind of problem there but you're not entirely sure what it is and it is interesting like you know seeing a seeing a character who is already traumatized <laughs> and having to like deal with all you know deal with watching these kind of really sickening movies all day um it it reminded me a lot of Driller Killer as well, which is uh, <laughs> which is which is another film about kind of you know some someone who is who is who is in a state of anxiety and is is kind of driven over the edge by 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 stuff. But yeah, it's got all these references. There's lots of lots of references to Evil Dead, which is one of the kind of perennial um, sort of video nasties. And um, yeah, it's great great film. Can't wait to, can't wait for when it comes out and to see it again. I think it's one that um, we're well. We're definitely going to be shouting about it, but I think it's a great like twenty twenty one strong British film. I hope it gets a good release. I hope it kind of gets a big love in at the Baf uh, at the Beefers next year as well. I know that horror traditionally has been a bit like, you know, not really awards fair, but it's this is one of those films where I just you know the craft and kind of the confidence of it. I really think is worthy of kind of celebrating, and you know, I think. Um, we're all kind of a bit worried about the future of like the British film industry at the moment but I think that's why it's important to champion films like this that kind of prove that there are people who can make these really amazing really daring and exciting movies that we need to kind of get out there and I was I wasn't going to mention it but I, but I feel like I'll give him a quick shout out as well because I, I I really did enjoy the film um Ben Wheatley's latest um In the Earth which is his um shot on location covid inspired thriller which is <laughs> a series of words to strike fear in the in any film critics art at the moment um I, another like i was just had such a great time with it the horror showings at this year's sundance i think were very strong generally um but yeah this was a real like i was kind of prepared for it to go either way especially after rebecca which i thought was absolutely dire but this is a real return to form for Wheatley. It's a, you know, a tight kind of 
uh, little, pretty, pretty simple three-act story about um, a scientist called Martin, played by Joel Fry, who goes off into the woods to um, do some research and terrible things happen to him. And I think that's great. Uh, I, I, you know, I think it, it delivers exactly what it says it's going to do and kind of devolves into this very Wheatley-esque um, psychedelic freakout, which we've not really seen him do that since um, maybe a field in England. So it's, you know, it feels like quite a while since we've had a good old fashioned Wheatley horror and this really delivers and it has possibly the most Reese Shearsmith performance of all time. He he plays this like hobo drifter and he's just, he's just so, so good, so creepy and so funny. And yeah, it's another like just great work from Wheatley and Clint Mansell as well, who apparently was miking up plants to get like the soundtrack on this, like recording the sound of plants, which is just crazy. That's one again that I'm super excited to actually like hopefully see that with a cinema audience this year. I think it will go down very well. A late night screening at Prince Charles. Um, I can see that doing numbers. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago... If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash boast. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I should definitely give a shout out to the docs because I saw, I'm not usually like a doc head. Um, I like watching them, but I feel like I don't really have any critical, like, you know, (laughs) I just don't feel like I ever have anything to say. Um, So I ended up watching a lot of documentaries this year and um, I'll give a shout out to uh, Edgar Wright's Sparks documentary, uh, The Sparks Brothers. Just big fun, big fun, whether you know, whether you're familiar with them or not, just a really kind of, um, joyful celebration of these two weirdos who've been doing their thing for 40 years and have never kind of bowed into corporate pressure or, um, you know, kind of um, given up on their dreams, <laughs> whatever they are. <laughs> you know, watching it, there's never a sense that they did, they got into music because they wanted to be famous or anything. It just felt like a compulsion. And it's so lovely to see them a like just kind of doing their thing but b like 
the world they've created around them and all these kind of amazing talking heads talking about how they've been inspired by the Sparks Brothers. You know, uh, you have like an insane like cast of characters you have mike myers like weird al jason schwartzman like all these like just very random people popping up to say how great sparks brothers are and it's but they're not called the sparks brothers they're they're just called sparks i know but they're they're called they're called they're the male brothers aren't they yeah (laughs) yeah they're called ron and russ male yeah yeah and there's a lovely moment in the film where edgar's like and he he says like oh shall we call it the Sparks Brothers and they're like if you have to <laughs> 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 for lack of a better title I guess it's it's there's just a real like a, a humor and a lightness to it and I I went in like kind of knowing of them because my mum is a bit of a fan and I'm obviously super excited about Annette which hopefully we'll get to see this year which is the musical they conceived and wrote the all the songs for that uh, Leos Corex has directed. But it's just like, it's such an engrossing, I've, I've used engrossing so much, but I genuinely was like wrapped watching this. I think it's it's such a, an imaginative documentary. It's kind of combines all those traditional music doc elements of the talking heads and the kind of tour footage, but then there's loads of animation and kind of, it's just a really like comprehensive look at a band. And I think it's very clear that Edgar Wright cares a lot about them and, he's put a lot of love into it and I think it really it really shows on screen it's definitely like it's you know it's a two it's nearly two and a half hours long (laughs) it's 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 one for the one for the uh the dock heads but um it's it's really fun it's just a very enjoyable very like well-made fun gets you in the kind of like you know you want to go out to gigs again mood and I, I I had a great time with it and then on um not not a similar note, but a kind of like look another look at fame. Um, something that my friend Brianna Ziegler recommended to me was um, this documentary called "The Most Beautiful Boy in the World," uh, which is about Bjorn Anderson, who he's played... the kid the kid from Death in Venice. He is, ah. yeah. He um, was the young the, the the young beautiful boy from um, Death in Venice, and it's a documentary about him and his life and he was 15 when he made that film so obviously you know a very long time ago a lot's happened since then and it's a really like moving and sad film about the kind of the effect of fame at that young and he's gone through this this poor guy he's you know he's in his 60s now has kind of he he says in the film he never would have taken that role if he'd known what was going to happen to him afterwards it's a real like kind of heartbreaking story about um the ills of the industry and kind of how that kind of fame at such a young age can really change your life for the worse and it's you know it's it's lovely that he's getting this kind of celebration in this film and he's getting to kind of tell his story he's such a kind of there's a real like kind of like noble sadness to him and he um there's a wonderful moment where they're on the set of midsummer which was the last kind of film he made he played um the old man <laughs> who gets dropped off a cliff um, I, don't, I don't know if there's a better way to describe his role in that film but um yeah there's a wonderful kind of moment where he's like he's making that film and he just seems really like 
really happy and he, you know, really kind of like comes alive again as opposed to the rest of the film where he seems very like kind of talks a lot about his like struggles with addiction and um, at the beginning of the film they play a clip from um, the most uh, from uh, Death in Venice and they talk about um, Visconti and then it then it cuts very quickly to him on the phone talking about how he's getting evicted from his house and you know I think it's just a really like I think we all kind of hear about those like stories of child stars who you know kind of descended into um spirals of you know addiction and despair afterwards but there's something so sad about the idea that this was never you know this story was never told um and it's finally kind of um getting out there that um I really yeah I, I just really um really connected with it and I think it's a really like really poignant and um interesting look at a, a film that has kind of been celebrated so much as this you know landmark of cinema and then you know you look at the flip side and it was a film that totally destroyed this teenager's life um so yeah that that's another like I think that probably will come out at some point over here it seems like a kind of um, you know, one that will go over well with the BFI a Tuesday morning crowd. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so well, yeah, I, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that that that's that sounds really interesting. I'm sh I'm sure that will kind of crop have a, have hopefully have a kind of long festival journey ahead of it. Uh, so, sounds like the th sort of thing that might even crop up on TV in the UK, but I guess we'll we'll see. But I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna call time on you there because I know that you saw. <laughs> I know that you ended up seeing 26 films. Oh, yeah, I could see, I could, yeah, there's we, plenty more and I'm sure I'll talk about them in other formats but over just, the coming weeks. Just to say that Hannah wrote lots of reviews during the festival, first look reviews that are all on our website, lwlies.com. So you can go and um, take a deep dive there and 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 not just Hannah, but we've had other, you know, other, other writers have covered stuff as well. We've had but a we've got, we've got wonderful a lot, roster. A lot, a lot of... A lot of coverage from the festival so if, if you if you want to hear more head on over there but i'm going to hijack the t the, the the proceedings <laughs> now and uh, talk a little bit about uh, in the uh, iffr international film festival rotterdam um this year is so so last year we went we went along and did a little we, we were there at, as a rep representing as truth and movies and we did daily podcasts from the festival just little kind of 15 minute shots of um what we were seeing um few interviews with people who were kind of walking walking through and a few with directors and the, the we, we spoke to the outgoing artistic director and a lot of the chat last year was you know excitement about the 50th edition and even though we were you know a month out from Armageddon <laughs> um there there was you know there was no sense anywhere that 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 this that this festival wasn't going to be happening and you know the, the 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 massive plans that they had for it um and the the general air of excitement so it's really quite crushing to see that um that 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 for its 50th edition it's had to kind of I'm not going to say scale back but retool in this way um, it's also the first edition of an, of the, its new artistic director Vanya Kalujacic, who is um, who who sort of 
came on to take the reins for this massive task of 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 doing the 50th celebrations and in the end what they've had to do is split it into a kind of double double festival celebration where they're having their competition and uh, limelight sections which is a kind of section dedicated to the kind of cream of world cinema from the last year um and the and the tiger competition which is generally first and second features and they're they're that that's becoming an an online stream streamed event and there's going to be another live event touchwood hopefully later in the year uh so so they're, they're they are sort of um splitting up their 50th celebrations and i think the hope is that they they will be able to have a kind of live live side to it um but yeah, I've, I'm a massive Rotterdam fan. I've been going going there for many years. I think it's maybe I've, I've maybe been like 10, 11 times, um, sometimes just like for like one or two days, because it's actually quite easy to get there on the train from London. You could, you know, it's a couple of hours door to door. So it's, it's a nice kind of close festival for us. Um, but yeah, this year actually I've, is, is probably the most tiger competition films I've seen, because as I was saying before, they're kind of programmed in a way that you can't really experience that many in the time if you're there for a sort of short stay um the the, the, the and the, it's been really fun um i want to talk about the, the the highlight which is a film i think may have screened actually no 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 it's a world premiere so it wouldn't have screened in in sundance uh it's a film called friends and strangers by james vaughan it's a an australian comedy um and uh it's some something that uh, a, a friend of mine uh, just DM'd me to recommend. He just he just jumped, like he knew I was watching stuff, and he jumped just DM'd me and said, "Definitely watch this." So I watched it straight away, and it was absolutely brilliant. Um, <laughs> it's it's this it's really like it's this starts off as this super droll, uh, almost kind of mumblecore-ish comedy, and I uh, you know I, I know that mumblecore is going to just the very term mumblecore is going to set alarm bells ringing, but 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 bear with me on this. Um, it's set in Sydney, and it and you're following this uh, couple called Ray and Alice, who are this kind of millennial, indie-ish, devil may care, slightly kind of nervy couple, and they're you know they're sort of like tooling around and being very sort of reticent and. They go. They they decide to go on this camping holiday t- together, and you know you kind of gradually learn that they're not a couple, and that that Ray has got some issues that he's dealing with, and um, the reason for the for, for their kind of the sort of air of awkwardness comes to light later on, and <laughs> it's done as a very dry, droll, deadpan comedy, and you have all these funny side characters, like you know they they pitch their tent, and then this this guy comes along and sort of has this conversation with them saying he doesn't think they they could pitch their tent there and it can it got it kind of is this really super polite conversation with this underlying air of 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 of, of sort of malevolence there but but it's um it's it's, it's really funny and, and i think you when you start watching the film you kind of peg it as this kind of oh it's a kind of dry droll comedy and you know it's gonna it's quite sort of hong sang su or you know um you know as i said mumblecore ish and then it kind of splits off into the second half where we, we kind of we, we wave Alice goodbye and we kind of follow Ray. Uh, and it, it's it, it transpires that he has basically just come off the back of a long relationship and he's still very kind of traumatized by by the end, the end of it. And he can't quite acclimate himself to the 
to, 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 to being with new people and and we follow and it basically follows this episode where he's it turns out that he's a wedding videographer and he goes up to, he basically goes up to this kind of swanky hillside mansion to have a meeting with someone whose wedding he's going to film and the film basically turns into this kind of very hilariously funny screwball comedy of errors where you know everything goes wrong he he they, they his car breaks down his mum ends up taking them his friend gets sick and gets car sick so they they go into this guy's house who ends up being like the 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 a member of a, a, an old 70s ambient group who starts playing them his music really loudly and this, and his music then plays on throughout the rest of the film basically because <laughs> you can like it's like you ray is having these interactions with the next door neighbor about doing this wedding film and you can just hear this ambient music in the background and it sounds like the kind of music that an indie movie of its type would have in the background but actually like you have this very kind of meta joke that it's actually the the neighbor at playing this music really loudly and they keep shouting in to turn it down uh, and it's it's just it has that that's just one example but it has all these really kind of meta touches to it and one of the things that it reminded me of, and I know this is going to, this again is going to be a red flag because I mean, I, I generally hate it when people use, use this name as, as a kind of comparison because it pretty much crops up in like every other review you ever read. But it really reminded me of Wes Anderson. <laughs> in, and, and not, 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 as, not necessarily aesthetically. It's, I don't think it's, it's, it's shot with his kind of, that, that sort of very, um obvious mm. precision and it's an ornateness it's, it's not maybe it's very precise but it's not ornate but it's more the, the sense of humor it's that it's these very sort of uh you know the use of non-secretaries and the use of like um just very very deadpan framing and these eccentric characters who are just sort of walk in and out of a, of a shot and, and and they all have like funny names and uh, there's a real sense of space as well, and yeah, it's it's just hilariously funny, and uh, and one of the best Australian films I remember seeing, to be honest. Um, so yeah, that 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 comes highly recommended. Elsewhere, just to sort of dial things back a bit, another excellent film I saw was called Landscapes of Resistance, which is which is probably the the kind of polar opposite in terms of tone style everything to to uh, friends friends and strangers um it's a it's a do, it's a kind of kind of artistic documentary about where you are listening to this um uh testimony by a serbian partisan freedom fighter uh, called uh, sofia sonja voljanovic and um <laughs> she she's introduced as this kind of doddery old lady with a with a little kitten on her lap at the beginning of the film and then the, it kind of we cut away from that and the most of the film is just shots of fields and moss growing on trees and rain water dripping and like these really gorgeous landscape shots and you can hear her voice over the top and she has this incredible story of being a a kind of you know naive young young woman in serbia and then uh, marrying a communist and then being influenced by politics and then you know getting arrested during the german occupation and then sent to auschwitz where she 
essentially sort of spearheaded a little miniature resistance movement and 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 uh obviously was a survivor and it's this it's this incredible story that that is told in this extremely vivid way uh that, that her, her her memory of 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 it is is as as you can imagine for an episode that is kind of so deeply traumatizing that it just you know it doesn't it doesn't kind of escape the mind too easily uh it's very um you have all these you have contemporary letters that she's sending about about where she's trying to sort of remind herself of details asking friends and colleagues and people who she was with at the time about how things happened and and also reflecting on modern day serbia and how the you know the how she's basically seeing echoes of of that time now but yeah it's it's a very it's very austere and and you know it's 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 very heavy going at times but really in in impressive and 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 interesting work and you know you'd maybe hope that like like a movie would uh would sort of pick that up or something um and yeah lastly i just want to give a shout out um to a, a, a another really lovely little film i saw called pebbles uh, nothing to do with the uh, the baby out of Flintstones, alas. But um, it's a it's an Indian film um, by a uh, director called Vinathraj P.S. Uh, I, I, I yeah, I'm not sure what the P.S. stands for, but that's that's how he's been credited. Vinathraj P.S. Um, takes place in southern India. It's this really dry, arid, scorched plain and uh a, vill- a very very kind of downtrodden village and you're introduced to this angry guy who is just uh, marching around this village he's, he's shouting and screaming he's trailed by this his young son who has this little kind of school satchel around his back <laughs> and it turns out they're going on a journey to retrieve his wife who's run away from them because he because he's been abusing her and oh my God. he he he's kind of dragging the son along with him and you can kind of tell that he's this awful, awful guy. And he, you know, on the on the journey there, he's like beating people up and scowling and chain smoking. And and it's it, and the son, you know, you, you kind of expect there to be some kind of shred of empathy with the son or some connection there where he sees this vision of innocence that helps him kind of break down the situation. But it just never happens. He's just he's just <laughs> this pure. He's just this nasty, horrible guy. And it's kind of in, completely kind of baked into him which is actually quite quite exciting because it kind of also you know it, it, it upends that convention of having the innocent kid as a savior but also it upends the convention of having the journey as a savior as well like you know going on this long journey you learn things you you develop you see see the world anew you you understand to kind of you recalibrate your situation and your 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 re- relationships with other people but actually this the journey does nothing for him he's he's angry when he starts and he's angry when he gets there and he's when he when he when he finally gets to the place he wants to where his wife is he you know he just wants to to thrash her basically so um but it's a really it's a really short film it's like 70 minutes and it packs so much in and it's mostly shot with drone cameras as well which is really interesting because you do get some of those kind of very like bird's eye view drone shots of the characters walking uh, like a, a you know it's almost like google earth style shots of them walking through these kind of arid plains and um and you but but then he the, the director also films like scenes with 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 lots of people arguing together with the it's almost like a kind of drone copter is kind of flown right into the middle of the action so i i, I actually re, i think i know there are a lot of people who hate the kind of dronification of of cinema and maybe maybe documentaries more than fiction films but 
I kind of like the fact that this film went all in on the drones. You know, it was kind of <laughs> it, it was it was going for full drone aesthetic, and uh, it kind of get, it gave it a sort of sense of cohesion. And uh, and yeah, it was it was it's a it's a really nice film. Um, so yeah, that's I, I I'm still in the midst of Rotterdam, so I'm hopefully going to see some more stuff as well. But that was just three little picks from me. Um, but but to to round off. Uh, we're going to also talk about a little festival that we love that is upcoming, um, which is the Glasgow Film Festival, which is running from the 24th of February to the 7th of March. And that's another festival that uh, I've attended for the last couple of years. I had a really lovely time there. I think there is a, um, whereas a lot of kind of bigger international festivals have you know have this air of like you know like it can be alienating i guess the way that you described sundance originally as being like you feeling like an outsider glasgow is the complete opposite it is like <laughs> you know come you know it's like a little family run uh airbnb where you, uh, sorry uh bed and breakfast where you kind of like you know you come you're welcomed in and you're you, you know they get you know you it's everything is sort of handmade and it feels like this kind of it feels like a sort of family run festival and uh <laughs> The atmosphere is really, really lovely, um, and 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 real kind of diverse mix of, of 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 audience in there as well. You get lots of you know there's the whole age range in there, like from you know super young students to kind of pensioners who are coming and trying out some weird <laughs> world cinema. But I, I ahead of the pod, we I said to you, I asked you if you, if, you, if there's any to have a quick look at the the lineup and see if there's anything that you would. Uh, you would recommend or that tickles your fancy that you would, would maybe be keen on seeing and and yeah what 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 did you find yeah i mean um there's actually a lot of stuff i haven't seen in there which um i should probably get on it if there are any tickets left because um some some really good stuff in there high profile festival faves um in terms of stuff i have seen uh, minari is their big like big ticket premiere um and yeah, I mean, we've, I think we've talked about this maybe on the podcast, definitely we talked about it in the end of year podcast. Um, I, yeah, one of my favorite films of 2020 slash 2021. Um, I actually saw that at Sundance last year. Um, so I feel like it's been with me for a very long time now. Um, and yeah, just a, a really beautiful film from Lee Isaac Chung about family and the American dream and what it means to be American and what it means to be Korean and what it means to be a Korean American and so yeah I would highly highly recommend that to anyone and um, this film Black Bear which was another Sundance uh, premiere it, it's a funny one because I think it's one of the I think I think people would have a bit of a Marmite response to that they'll either be totally on board with it or will absolutely think it's pretentious trash um, but I, I really liked it. It's uh, Aubrey Plaza and Christopher Abbott, who's fast becoming one of Hannah's top boys. Um, and it's kind of a, a story of two halves um, about, about kind of creativity and relationships and filmmaking. And yeah, just a, just a really kind of um, funny, dark story that I would again yeah highly highly recommend checking that out and then there's three films that i haven't seen that i actually really want to see um one of which is limbo which um you have said is very good i believe i think it's yeah. you that I'm, i can get in my intel from yeah 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 no it's it's a, it's a cracker um i think it's 
yeah, it was at the it was at the London Film Festival this year. Um, ben Sharrock, and it's yeah, it's it's a, a really good. Fun, it's a really sort of funny, almost kind of charismatic inspired um, <laughs> immigrant tale of a, a, of a Syrian refugee who is housed in a on a on a very strange scottish island which is which which is which is kind of as the title suggests a, a kind of strange purgatory like a kind of cultural purgatory for him where he is completely sealed off from 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 kind of sane society <laughs> God. and 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 what, what while it's kind of funny watching this happen it's it, you, you kind of you it slowly hits you that this is this is in te- you know this this whole thing is intended as a kind of test for the for the for the kind of prospective refugee if you can survive this then you know you you you, you're welcome here oh my god (laughs) sounds quite it sounds like intense premise for for a comedy (laughs) but i I, i'm very excited to see that and then there's two other films which um i believe were festival premieres um last year glasgow tends to get some it gets like the best of the kind of festival season so it's a good festival if you want to kind of not sit through all the crap <laughs> it's got like it's generally like a good kind of quality control um uh, one of the films is that uh, gunda which again is one that has been recommended to me by various people it's um a documentary and i want to say american norwegian about uh, about pig or or several pigs i'm not sure i i um again i've not seen it but it's um, pro- executive produced by Joaquin Phoenix and Paul Thomas Anderson's a fan and it's this black and white film just about you know kind of the, the life of um, this pig Gunda and I, I you know that sounds great I'm really on board for it a lot of the kind of big doc heads that I listen to about these things have said it's really brilliant film so I'm super excited to I think I actually do have a award screener of that somewhere so I'm going to sit down and um get on that and feel like i'm at um glasgow by emulating (laughs) that experience and then um the other one i want to shout out again i've not seen it but it's one i'm super keen to check out is called i think it's got the best title of any film last year uh preparations to be together for an unknown period of time (laughs) which is a hungarian uh drama i think it was in venice um and it was the hungarian selection for the academy awards um I think it's like a, I it's very hard to describe these films I haven't seen, <laughs> but um, the impression I get is it's like a relationship drama type film, and it's yeah everyone I've um, asked about it has kind of given it very good reviews. Um, sounds very up my street, like a psychological kind of drama thing. I'm yeah super down for that. Yeah, no, I've seen some nice praise of that film. People people say it's really interesting. So yeah, I'm, 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 I'm down for that one. I'm, I'm also really keen to catch up with uh, Frederick Wiseman's City Hall. He is the yeah, kind of another I haven't seen. The great, the great uh, doc- <laughs> documentary maker and uh, chronicler of America of oh, not just American institutions but kind of global institutions as well. Um, and and it seems like a a good time to see a film about. Um, american civic politics and uh um and by all accounts it's up to his usual high standards i'm look i'm interested to see this film about polystyrene i am a cliche uh about the Ooh. lead singer of x-ray specs which is a what which is one of the world premieres there hopefully we'll get to see a little advance peak of that 
um generally as well like i mean yeah i i I kind of i would say that what you've what you've said i'm i'm also looking forward to there's that just to mention as well they got a uh korean sidebar this year so interesting time to have a look at the sort of comings and goings of of the sort of south korean film industry especially in this kind of post parasite world to see if there are any (laughs) uh pretenders on the make um one film that looks really interesting is is that they've got got there is called shim chang yan's da capo uh which is a kind of which is being sold as a kind of like story of a band school of rock type film but with this kind of like mop head indie crew um it's i don't know if it's anything to do with the 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 the, the love album uh, you know the 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 sixties psych rock band love had an album called De Capo um, but uh, yeah maybe may, maybe it is maybe it isn't but it's definitely one of those films that I'm instantly kind of drawn in by the little kind of festival catalog image of of like a of of this kind of indie band huddled together um, so yeah and they've also they've also got a really interest, interesting Scottish sidebar as well which is kind of showcasing documentaries and features from from scotland this year which seems wise for a festival like glasgow to do um and uh and and yeah there's, there's there has always been that kind of commitment to kind of homegrown craft so that's reflective of that so yeah that that so glasgow is 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 com- coming at you uh on the 27th of, of february so i think you know you can jump on their website and i think the way that, that, that they're doing it is that you that, that there are kind of windows in which you can book films and watch them uh, uh, streamed. Uh, I think they're geo-locked to the UK, so um, you know you'd uh, to, uh, to apologies to all our non-UK listeners on the, on that front. But uh, yeah, um, so yeah, that was a, that. I think we're going to round up off now. I mean, that was that was a little kind of survey of the 2021 festival season, past, past, present, and future. Um, and obviously we're going to, we'll hope to bring you some more podcasts later in the year from from other festivals possibly a a, a berlin maybe a maybe a can hopefully a venice uh, and a and a toronto but i guess god willing god willing and and, and you know we'll, we'll we'll keep watching the news to find out if that's going to happen hannah thanks so much for uh, taking time out to have have this uh, you know minute mini epic chat with me it's been super fun <laughs> Well, thank you for having me. <laughs> well, and uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks so much for listening and see you soon. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.